Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This week's show is sponsored by Next Up Comedy. Uh, Next Up is a bit like Netflix, but instead of like weird, crappy Christmas films about organ donors that have died, it instead has some of the very best stand-up comedians uh, doing their special shows, which will actually make your organs wobble. I'm not sure that sounds... Great, actually. It'll make you laugh. They'll very much make you laugh. Um, Some of the acts on the channel uh, include myself. Uh, Three of my stand-up shows are on there. There's also Laura Lex, Simon Munnery, Tony Law, Lou Sanders, Louisa Omelan, Brendan Burns, Richard Herring, and absolutely loads more. It is brilliant. I've been a subscriber for ages. I thoroughly love it. Um, Next Up Comedy are really supportive of the comedy industry. Um, They help loads of new comedians. They help diversity in the industry. Um, And I mean, basically, it's brilliant. It's not very much money per month. And if you go to nextupcomedy.com forward slash Tiernan is great. No, I didn't set up that link. I wouldn't do that. It's nothing to do with me. Um, Then you get a free month of that too. And one lucky subscriber also will get a free year subscription so i mean you may as well do it because you've got all that time over christmas where you're just going to be deflating from all that food um and a bit of laughing and a bit of organ wobbling will probably help that a lot so please sign up nextupcomedy.com who are kindly sponsoring this episode thank you Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that always makes sure it's fully costed by not having any budget whatsoever and also completely failing to deliver anything substantial as a result. I'm Tiernan Duyeb, this is episode 166, and this week, as Prime Minister and walking bonfire heat, Boris Johnson has announced the Conservative Manifesto and vowed to forge a new Britain. Is that because once they're done with the country, the only way to hold on to any credibility will be with a fake ID? We are halfway through the life of the election, which must be why everyone seems to be having a crisis. Apparently, the Conservatives are avoiding a manifesto calamity, which is a curious way of saying they've realised if they tell people what they're really going to do, no one will vote for them. Instead, their Necronomicon light promises more money on potholes than childcare, which makes you wonder exactly what they plan to fill the potholes with, and if popping a nine-month-old in an A-road is going to be more feasible for parents than nursery. The big pledge, though, is for 50,000 new nurses, though it's been revealed that 19,000 of them are ones that are already there. I mean, I suppose you could forgive the Conservatives that error, considering nothing they've done in the last nine years makes it clear that they knew any nurses at all existed, otherwise they might have valued them more. Tranquilized plush toy Nicky Morgan insisted that it was 50,000 more nurses overall, which calls into question other Conservative promises. Is it really 20,000 policemen they're pledging, or does that include all the ones that are already there, plus anyone who featured in Line of Duty or Luther? Will they really be spending £6.3 billion on disadvantaged homes, or does that include the money that's already been spent on any homes by anyone ever in the last 200 years? The manifesto also contains a promise to end the fixed-term Parliament Act, to stack boundaries in the Conservatives' favour and voter suppression methods, meaning that while Johnson keeps promising to end groundhoggery, which isn't a thing, we could be going through this shit every single year as a pointless exercise in just watching the Tories win because the only four people in the country with the correct combination of ID and DNA get to say so. 
Still, there is something vague on page 55 about supporting a British space command, so hopefully this means at some point a few of us will get to escape to a less toxic atmosphere. Though, considering what we know so far, the space command will probably just include spaces that already exist, most of which are in the knowledge banks of the party where there used to be a vague idea of how to seem like they weren't completely stupid. Overall, of course, the Conservatives' manifesto message was that Johnson will get Brexit done, claiming again that his plan was oven-ready, meaning it's likely filled with unnecessarily harmful ingredients, doesn't look anything like it does on the packaging, and leaves you with an overwhelming sense of having spent too much money on something that wasn't in any way satisfying. This is the Conservatives' winning formula, and they are ahead in the polls quite substantially in a way that suggests Britain has realised our only hopes of a strong economic future are for Johnson to catastrophically crash us out of the EU and for other nations to put on a fundraiser for us out of pity. And that must be it, because it's hard to fathom what other reason makes voters keen on them when everything stupid and openly callous they've done over the past week would only be appealing to someone writing a script for a sitcom set in the administrative offices of hell. The first leader's debate was between Johnson and Labour leader and physical manifestation of the feeling you have when you're stuck in a long queue, Jeremy Corbyn. And it was predominantly about Brexit because that's all the Prime Minister wants to talk about ever, including when being asked about being accountable for his own racist comments, and he instead preferred to query his political opposite's Brexit stance. Nothing says I'm concerned by racism, quite like sidelining it in order to talk about pushing through a hard Brexit that will likely lead to an increase in racism. Other lowlights included both overrunning with their answers, which bodes well for any Brexit timeline deadlines, Johnson regularly having to check his notes despite, and I'm assuming this based on his answers, his notes clearly only being a beer mat with Get Brexit Done written in crayon, a crude drawing of a cock and a phone number he got off a toilet wall. Corbyn was laughed at for Labour's four-day working week policy, though it's obviously something Johnson likes the idea of, or he wouldn't have insisted Parliament take so much time off in September. When asked about what if the internet loading symbol was a sex pest, Prince Andrew, the Labour leader said that the monarchy needed improvement. And I guess for most of them, a four-day working week would be. The Prime Minister was laughed at by the audience when he insisted the truth matters, as it's clear he only means that if there wasn't such a thing as truth, he wouldn't know what to lie about. That laughter was especially prescient as during the debate, the Conservative press office changed its Twitter handle to Fact Check UK before posting lots of pro-Tory statements prefixed by the word fact. And while you might think that was misleading, deceptive and downright crooked, there is a chance that it just put off many of their voters who mostly seem to be afraid of those. Party chairman and Mr Peanut standard James Cleverly was wheeled out yet again to defend the Tories' actions because I'm now certain he lost a bet against the other members and is still paying it off. He said they did it to call out Labour's willful misinformation regarding the NHS. Yes, because obviously the Conservatives are where you go to to look for facts about the health service. Ofs. And if I want to find out facts about workers' rights, maybe I should go ask the Egyptian pharaohs before popping in to see the ringmaster from Dumbo about animal rights. The next day, Foreign Secretary and botched surgery leftovers Dominic Raab defended their online jiggery-pokery by saying no one who looked at it for more than a minute would have been fooled, which makes you wonder why do it. But also, people don't look at things for more than a minute, otherwise the Conservative Party wouldn't be popular anymore. The polls after the leadership debate showed that the public thought Corbyn was more trustworthy and in touch with ordinary people, but that Johnson was more likeable and prime ministerial. Prime Ministerial? Is that because he's already Prime Minister and him and the last two have really lowered the bar for what that term means? I mean, now, if I can't remember how many kids I have, I'm being Prime Ministerial. Or, you know, if I lie a lot and waste money on projects no one will benefit from. Miss, Johnny said my dad is Prime Ministerial. Tell him, please. Well, Johnny, we both know your father tried to have a journalist beaten up and set fire to some money in front of a homeless man. Between that TV debate and the next, it was like someone uncorked a bottle of arsehole, as horrific comments kept pouring out of the Conservatives. Home Secretary and only politician to get all her policies from Cards Against Humanity, Priti Patel, said that you can't blame the government for poverty, because she's the sort of person who probably blamed everything shitty she did on an imaginary friend when she was a kid. An imaginary friend who she'd likely decided was not British or rich, and therefore responsible for everything. Secretary for International Trade and 98% Air 2% British Cheese, Liz Truss, was asked on TV by Cow Andrew Neil how many starter homes the Conservatives had built and couldn't remember that it was completely and utterly none. Either she's always assumed zero was a quantity, thus being able to convince herself that the lack of credibility she's always had is a plus, or maybe she was including in her mind all the starter homes that had been built previously. 
Meanwhile, the aforementioned spam piping bag Dominic Raab announced that the government will seek legal costs from the family of Harry Dunn, the boy sadly killed by the reckless driving of a US security official's wife. The family said like they felt like they'd been treated like dirt by Rob, who said that he had to protect taxpayers' money. I guess prioritising the shitty driving of diplomats over justice for grieving parents does now explain the manifesto budget for potholes instead of childcare. The Tory candidate for Ashfield in Nottinghamshire and what if they animated South Park using potatoes, Lee Anderson, announced that he wants council house tenants to be made to live in fields and pick food for 12 hours a day. Which basically sounds like a fascist camp, but I guess if we crash out of the EU in January 2021, they'd be the only ones with decent access to food sources. So maybe somewhere in that potato that is Lee Anderson is a heart, or at least an eye. The only Conservative not publicly vying for Classic Villain of the Year is normal Classic Villain of the Year Judge Doom template Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's not been seen or heard from since his horrific comments about the victims of Grenfell. I'm betting he's sitting in a room because someone told him to stay there and he lacks the common sense to leave of his own accord. The second leaders' debate was a question time special featuring each party head being confronted by an audience in Sheffield, who were like a verbal firing squad. With such cutting and excellent questions, I was certain at one point they'd just asked Johnson, why can't you make a cup of tea, you useless lying fuckhead? But sadly, they didn't. Johnson again repeated that he didn't want an election in the same way he probably didn't want to cheat on his ex-wife, but he just kept having a go anyway. This time, he defended a question about his racist comments by saying that he never intended to cause pain or hurt to anyone, which means he did it out of incomprehensible stupidity. So that's great. Our Prime Minister is either an intentional racist liar or a complete and utter fuckwit. Pick what's best. As for the leaders, Corbyn announced that his official Brexit stance was to be neutral in a second referendum, like a car that's going nowhere. Prime Minister and life vessel for a pipe, Harold Wilson, was neutral during the vote to join the EEC in 1975, as were the Conservative Party, not individual members, but the party as a whole, during the referendum in 2016. But the thing about neutral in a divided world is that you fall into the middle crack, and where three-word slogans are trumping in more ways than one the polls, sit back and watch might be one word too many for the voting public. Corbyn was also questioned on why, when the NHS needs money, would he spend so much money on free broadband? Because we clearly live in a world where only one or the other is possible, and it's either going to have to be hospitals that need to keep patient records on pieces of slate, or one where everyone has to Google how to treat themselves as all the hospitals have closed. SNP leader and everyone's cool aunt who's a legend because she openly called your younger brother a prick in front of your parents, Nicola Sturgeon, was the strongest candidate, mainly because she could construct a full sentence coherently. She did, of course, mostly talk about Scottish independence, as if Corbyn is Prime Minister, she believes she'd be able to persuade him to have a second indie ref, as though she hasn't realised that he's not changed any of his views during the 30 years he's been an MP. You'd have better luck persuading Johnson, because chances are, in between his 600 changes of mind per day, depending on what he's advised to say, there might be two to three minutes where he'd agree, for a second. And then there was Lib Dem leader and kid who chooses to stay later at school to help the teacher tidy up as a cover for not having any friends, Joe Swinson. After going to court to demand she be included in the first debate, you do wonder why she went to so much effort, when really, based on this appearance, Swinson should have used all her time persuading the channels that she didn't have to do any. She wasn't so much hoisted by her own petard, as much as the audience took her and her petard, hoisted all of it and then threw them into the sea. Swinson was called ridiculous for suggesting she could be Prime Minister, Leavers and Remainers berated her for insisting on revoking Article 50 instead of backing a second referendum, and when she was questioned on her voting record as part of the coalition, she told them that her party also had plenty of fights with the Conservatives, and they lost some and they won some, and she was sorry they didn't win more. Though I guess that might not have been helped by her regularly siding with the Tories team instead of her own. It is also a tricky answer when one of the things the Lib Dems did win in the coalition was the referendum on alternative voting, which they then lost. Though that may explain her insistence that she could be Prime Minister if Swinson assumes that by losing overall, somehow it's still a win. Earlier that week, the Lib Dems had unveiled their manifesto, which contained a 10-year emergency climate plan and a pledge for 20,000 more teachers. Presumably, unlike the Conservatives, they'd all be new ones and not just 10,000 old ones and some bottles of whiskey. There is a pledge to legalise cannabis and full credit to Swinson for saying that she enjoyed smoking weed at uni, even though we all know she likely only tried it once, coughed a lot, maybe made the roach too wet, pulled a whitey and then wasn't invited to do it ever again, but she does still own a Nightmares on Wax CD. There is also a really odd plan for help to rent, where they would provide loans for young people to be able to pay a deposit on renting a flat, which feels all sorts of confused. Hey kids, you like being in debt, would you like to be in more of it? In seeing a problem and deciding what was wrong with it was that it wasn't problematic enough. What next? A canvas bag hire scheme for young people going to food banks. 
Earlier that week, Swinson had also denounced a joke story that someone had mocked up on Twitter about her killing squirrels because nothing legitimises fake news quite like bringing it up in order to deny it. Even if Joe doesn't kill squirrels for a hobby and she didn't completely deny it, so you know, this past week has definitely seen the rapid political demise of one bright-eyed, bushy-tailed individual. The Labour manifesto was also released, which Corbyn announced as one of hope, which shows how out of touch he is, as that's definitely one of the least popular trends in 2019. It includes a raising of the minimum wage, a scrapping of universal credit, and a lot of nationalisation proposals for several public services, as the British obviously seem to prefer if taxpayers' money was used by Dominic Rubb to upset bereaved families. But there's a lot of spending involved in Labour's policies, which has particularly riled up all the hard Brexiteers who said that we needed to crash out with no deal as some things were more important than money. It turns out, though, that those things were not getting your medicine rather than paying less for heating and broadband. But to be fair, it does all depend on who will be in charge, as knowing that, say, someone like the man you'd send into a hostage situation to ensure everyone died and a ransom was still paid, Barry Gardner, might be in charge of broadband and heating, it would probably mean your radiators would only work intermittently every other hour while your top Google searches keep changing their mind about what results to give you. Labour also have a policy to stop MPs taking second jobs, so that might be hard if they don't do enough in their main one for that to count as employment. And there are big taxes on oil giants, but I assume the bean poles to get to them are pretty slippy, so that could be tough. Corbyn told voters at the launch to vote for yourself, vote for your family and vote for your community, which sounds great, but I'm pretty sure if I try, I'll get done for electoral fraud. I'll make sure to buy a lot of hats, fake moustaches and glasses. Oh, and the Brexit party didn't launch a manifesto, but as the party leader, an old slipper that really should have been thrown away by now, Nigel Farage, he said it was instead a contract for the people, which is what you have to do if you're a private company that charges and stand as candidates and then tries to swindle them out of time and cash. One of their main policies is to stop the UK from exporting its waste. But if they do that, how will Farage go on all those right-wing US shows he likes doing? Hmm? Former Farage cohort and constant hate eel Aaron Banks had his Twitter account hacked last week and all his private messages leaked online. The contents haven't legally been cleared yet, but it's amazing that Banks is such a nasty piece of work that he's the only person who'd get hacked and they troll him by posting less offensive tweets. The Electoral Commission has published a list of donations and loans of over £7,500 to all parties so far in the campaign. And of the overall £6.5 million, £5.7 million has gone to the Conservatives, which is why it would be even funnier if they lost. £1 million was donated to them by theatre producer John Gore. And to be fair, I've only worked in theatre a little bit, but I can see how hanging around with actors all the time might just make you want to give money to any party that will entirely destroy the arts. The Grime for Corbyn movement has started up again in support of Labour because nothing says aggressive beats like Labour's performance in the polls. Coldplay are supporting the Lib Dems, which is pretty much what everyone expected. And there's no news on other parties yet, but I reckon we'll see Elgar's Ghost come out for the Tories, some sort of Womad Highlights album for the Greens, and it should be any day now and Morrissey will probably announce some sort of album of him backed only by the noises of bubbling chip fat, vegetable oil of course, in support of the Brexit party. And after his disastrous interview about his connections to convicted paedophile Jeffrey definitely didn't kill himself Epstein, Prince Andrew has stepped down from all his public duties because it's only in the royal family where you can be a national disgrace and get punished by living your life never having to work and rolling in fat, fat dosh that all the public gives you. Personally, I can't help but think it'd be safer for everyone if he was actually in public at all times, trussed up like Hannibal Lecter with mittens secured on and some sort of warning scribbled on his face just to be sure. And Channel 4 have announced that their election leaders debate on Thursday will be entirely on the emergency climate crisis. Boris Johnson isn't attending, so well done Channel 4 on already reducing the toxic atmosphere. Oh my God, that was so long. That was like the longest intro of our lives. How is this only week three of the election campaign? It feels like that has been going on forever. I haven't been doing enough. Uh, I feel terrible. I haven't done enough political activism. I am uh, exhausted. That's why. I feel like I should be running around knocking on everyone's doors screaming, but he won't get Brexit done through their letterboxes. Um, But instead, I'm mostly working and parenting and trying to find moments in between to post things online to say, yeah, but can you please see all these facts that say Johnson is really shit, though? Um, I don't don't think that works, but who knows? Um, I did a gig last night, quick humble brag o'clock, where myself and Tatton from Simple Politics went on stage after Lily Allen. Yes, that one. 
one. She's very nice. And told people to register to vote about 600 times in a row. And I explained that you have to register to vote before you can vote, like you have to peel a banana before you eat it, or you're just hitting yourself in the face with a banana. I was very proud of that, but I also know, if anything, I probably dissuaded at least two people from voting with that, because it was shit. Um, you are registered to vote, aren't you? I, I haven't been banging on about it on this podcast, because I assume by listening to this that you have the wherewithal to do it. But you know, as they say, assume makes an ass out of Umi. And while I like Japanese plum blossom, I'm not sure I'd want a butt made of one. So, if you're one of the gold team who listened to this on the first day it's out on the Tuesday, you'll have but a few hours to go to gov.uk forward slash register hyphen to hyphen vote and sort that out. And if you don't, then you can't enjoy spending the next five years going, well, I didn't vote for them, so this is your fault. And what better reason? Um, I'm now getting genuinely terrified of a Conservative majority, like actually very scared. Uh, it's probably going to happen. Um, it'd be very bad for so many reasons that I point out every single week on this show. Uh, I suppose as a plus side, I get to keep all my material. Not really good enough. That doesn't really weigh up. Um, but how do you persuade people to vote otherwise when they just go, oh, but if Corbyn's Prime Minister on day one, he'll run around shooting anyone who earns over £20 and then he'll nationalise all the cheese, which is odd because as everyone knows, everything run at government level takes so long to happen that you'd have at least 12 to 18 months before the first £20 earners were shot and cheddar was packaged in council-headed paper. At least... The best advice I keep hearing is to talk to people, especially family and friends who may want to vote for Captain Strawpig. But I have successfully spent my years getting rid of all my friends and family that may do that, and I now exist in a perfect social echo chamber. Um, I mean, I say that. I just don't go out anymore or see anyone. But if you have relatives or chums that need persuading, do just speak to them honestly. Try and instill some empathy in them and what you know your life will be like i suppose under the the conservatives and and theirs they might be all right but who knows um and whenever they say for example but labor's plans are fantasy just show them page 55 of the conservative manifesto where they're planning a space command yeah uh, right, as you heard at the very top of the show, this episode is sponsored this week by the brilliant comedy streaming platform NextUpComedy.com, where you can not only find my now quite old stand-up shows, weirdly still relevant, nothing's changed, um, but also loads from lots of very, very, very funny acts. Um, I genuinely like the site, I, I watch it lots, uh, and they are properly supportive of the comedy world, I think I mentioned that in the top bit, um, but they really are, they've helped me out lots too, and it is a great site. Um, if you do it via NextUpComedy.com forward slash Tiernan is great. I mentioned before, I promise I didn't choose that. They chose that. Uh, they're very nice people. Um, then you get a month's free subscription, which should see you through the winter. So do that. Go on, do it. Do it. Go on, hurry up. Thanks this week to Ed and somebody for the uh, ko-fi.com, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro donations. I need coffee right now. I need it in my eyes. So if you fancy donating, please do that there or at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro. Um, or, you know, review the show on one of your podcast apps with a fat five stars, please. Or just spread the word that everyone should hear this thing all of that stuff is appreciated a um, couple of very quick admin plugs because oh my god I went on so long at the top of the show um, myself and Tatton who I mentioned earlier are doing a last minute how does this general election thing work then kids show at Greenwich Theatre this Saturday at 11am which will be much like our other show uh, the how does this politics thing work then um, but we've changed two words in the title uh, and we'll say things about the election um, it's for all of those age 7 plus um, and hopefully it will help them understand what on earth is going on and why you keep shouting at the television um, and all the support gigs I'm doing for Frankie Boyle are now on sale at the Soho Theatre website they're all in December and they are selling super quick so hurry if you want to hear me have 20 minutes of breakdown on stage uh, before Frankie probably does some brilliantly eloquent summaries of our current hellscape and a quick shout out to my brother The Last Skeptic who does all the music for this show if you enjoy that which you should unless you're an idiot Um, he's just released his brand new album See You In The Next Life which has had loads and loads of lovely reviews and it is all over all over all the different places where music does exist so please do grab a copy and listen to that thank you on this week's show i am speaking to professor tim bale from uk interchanging europe all about the party's brexit promises and what they mean plus a mini look at a few manifesto pledges it's only a mini look though because this podcast is already the longest show ever and yet it still doesn't feel quite as long as watching joe swinson on the leaders debate question time i mean that felt felt like a lifetime This is apparently a Brexit election. You know, the second one after the last Brexit election, which solved nothing, and the Brexit referendum before that, and the local elections, which were apparently Brexit-based, and the European Parliament ones that were so Brexit-based that they weren't meant to happen if Brexit had happened, but it didn't, so they did. Maybe all elections from now on will just be Brexit ones, and we'll reach a stage where the meaning of the word has been completely forgotten, becoming simply just another word for general. Though to be fair, we're probably quite near there now. 
The NHS is now the top voter concern this election, but once again, the Conservatives are neglecting the healthcare service, as they are certain that this is all about Brexit. Only talking about Brexit in between wanting gulags for poor people, forgetting they've not built any houses and criticising people who died in a fire. Instead, Brexit, Brexit, Brexit is mostly being getting Brexit done, having a deal that's oven ready, and mostly trying to sell their party like Barry Scott sells degreasing spray by shouting the same few words over and over again. Now, I can't remember what it's called. It just isn't clear. It doesn't stick in your brain, does it? But can they get it done? Will we be crashing out at the end of 2020? Or will they manage to get a full trading agreement with the EU by then? Or will it just be extension after extension until we turn the whole country into a purgatory theme park? What about the other parties? Does Labour's New Deal and referendum and Corbyn being all neutral like a baby soap make sense? Or will it somehow still cause tears? And what if, like the Lib Dems want, we just remain? Will the EU want that after the last few years? Or would they much rather we just fucked off and left them alone to have nice cheese? This week, I spoke to Professor Tim Bale, Professor at Politics at the School of Politics and International Relations at Queen Mary's University. Tim is also part of the brilliant UK Inner Changing Europe, the academic think tank that's been working on Brexit since before the referendum. So who better to ask about this supposed Brexit election than him? Tim explained all about if Brexit can get done, if we're still really a divided country. And I asked him nothing about nice cheese, even though it's nearly Christmas. And that is all I can think about. I had a great chat with Tim. I hope you enjoy. Here he is. Is this a Brexit election that we're having? Um, you know, there's a lot of queries as to whether it is, whether it isn't. I think the Conservatives seem to want it to be and no one else does. Um, and, and if so, is, you know, do you think that election is the correct way to kind of break the impasse, as, uh, as they say? Well, certainly, if you look at the opinion polls, it does look as if Brexit is the most important issue to voters, closely followed by the NHS and then a few other uh, spending uh, areas. Uh, It's clear that the Conservative Party uh, is parroting its slogan, every chance it gets, which is get Brexit done, uh, even though some people feel that's slightly misleading. Interestingly, though, the Conservatives aren't wanting to go into too much detail on Brexit, precisely, I think, because uh, actually, even if we leave on January the 31st, there will then be a Herculean task to actually get a free trade agreement with Europe done by uh, the end of 2020, which is what they're promising. And so the Conservatives are actually spending quite a lot of time simply trying to close down uh, the attack lines uh, that Labour used so successfully in 2017 uh, on public services. And uh, given that they've published their manifesto, uh, they seem to be giving the impression anyway that they're going to be uh, ending austerity uh, and therefore hopefully um, as far as they're concerned, uh, blunting the attack that Labour uh, could make on uh, the pressure on public services. As far as whether uh, this election is the best uh, way of resolving Brexit, I guess that rather depends on whether people support leave or support remain. Clearly, if you support remain, I think you would prefer to have uh, a second referendum. And that's clearly what some parties are offering. I think if you support leave, you've probably uh, got a fairly good idea that you might lose that second referendum, given uh, what public opinion polls are showing. And you'd actually prefer the election to sort this thing out, which at the moment anyway, it looks as if it will do because the Conservatives have a fairly comfortable majority. So uh, from that summary, it doesn't sound like it will break. It might break the impasse in terms of if the Conservatives get a majority, but it, it probably won't heal any divisions. No, that's a very good point. We have considerable evidence now from research um, and surveys of voters, but also focus groups that, you know, Britain is quite polarised over this question. uh, And it won't simply go away once we formally leave the EU, not least because uh, we then have to decide what our relationship with the EU will be uh, going forward. And that could cause just as many arguments, particularly, of course, if uh, some people in the Conservative Party get their way and go for a very, very hard Brexit. In other words, leaving uh, the EU without a trade deal uh, on so-called WTO terms. That would worry a lot of people, I think, uh, simply because it would imply that Britain would move towards a kind of low tax, uh, low regulation kind of state where the market decided things uh, far more than uh, the the state did. uh, And therefore, that might push down uh, wages uh, and people's standards of living. It might also, some people 
would suggest threaten the tax base that funds public services. So, uh, you know, there is no sense, I think, in which uh, we will be able to get Brexit done uh, in the next year, even if we leave. Having said that, however, I, I would want to stress that although the electorate is quite polarised over this question, uh, and although you sometimes see it presented as a bit of a culture war, uh, I think that is a little bit exaggerated. We we seem to take so much of our kind of political framing from the United States, uh, but I, I think on this question, we're nowhere near as polarised as the as the US is on all sorts of value issues. That's really interesting. A lot of people I've spoken to, sort of, I'm a comedian, I go around to geeks places, and actually, I found the majority of audiences aren't divided anymore. They're just very bored of it and they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you often hear these um, points made about people not wanting to, you know, allow their son or daughter to marry someone from a leave family or a main <laughs> family. Or you have people sort of saying, you know, Christmas dinners have been spoiled or, you know, wedding receptions have got a bit edgy. Um, I mean, that might be true at the margins, but I just don't think most people pay as much attention to uh, politics as, as uh, you know, the uh, those of us who follow it very closely uh, and therefore just want to get on with their lives. And uh, that's partly, I think, the appeal of um, Boris Johnson's Brexit slogan. Even if you're not so particularly supportive of Brexit, I think the impression that you can somehow get this over with and, and just carry on um, where we left off before 2016 is is quite a powerful one for most people. And uh, you've mentioned uh, a number of times now that, that, that you get you know you can't just get Brexit done. That's not something that we can do. But the Conservatives are talking about us definitely leaving by January the first, 2020. Is it at all feasible that you know we've got Boris's deal, whether people like it or not, and there's obviously a lot of issues with it. But we could go out on January 31st. Could they? You know, could we feasibly leave on January first, 2020, or would? there would be a lot of issues because I've heard a lot of people speak about actually getting a considerable trade deal would take a lot longer than that. Well, if you talk to people who uh, are involved in trade economics or have been involved in trade negotiations, I think there is a great deal of scepticism about the possibility of us doing this deal within uh, a year. I mean, it might be possible perhaps to come up with some sort of rudimentary agreement, uh, which can then be built on in ensuing years. Uh, But there is, I think, uh, you know, uh, some uh, in- attempt on the part of people who are very keen on Brexit to suggest that simply because we already have, uh, you know, a very close relationship with the EU, uh, we will be able uh, to do a trade deal very quickly. That doesn't actually follow. There's all sorts of detail uh, in there that the EU won't simply be able to roll over and won't be willing to roll over, to be frank, because they don't want. Uh, a low tax, low regulation um, competitor on their doorstep. And they will be negotiating very, very hard to ensure that the UK keeps as closely as possible to uh, EU standards. Uh, And you have to remember that the EU has been in this game a lot longer than the UK. The UK has effectively contracted out any trade negotiations to the EU uh, for the last few decades. And therefore, it's not really um, staffed up in order to be able to conduct, uh, I think, a robust negotiation with uh, a 27 state uh, block. Um, We'll see. But I I, I would have thought that some kind of extension is likely or, as I say, um, an agreement, as it were, you know, on a on a rudimentary framework, which then gets built on over the next few years. Labour's plan was to have a, a new negotiate a new deal with the EU and then be allowed a further extension for a referendum. Is is that a more feasible option? I mean, I suppose that depends on what sort of new deal, which I assume will be a softer Brexit that, that, that they want. Yeah, I mean, I think whatever you think about Labour's position, I don't think there's much doubt that it could negotiate a different kind of deal with the EU if it wanted to, a much softer Brexit, if you like, where there was much closer alignment uh, between the UK and the EU, something akin to what people used to kind of call a Norway option. Um, and you know that would be i think something that was you know highly acceptable to the eu and therefore the the eu would be perfectly prepared to to do that so uh although people 
have said about Labour's position, it's nonsensical in political terms. In other words, you know, we will go and uh, renegotiate uh, a deal with the EU, then put it to a referendum, but we won't say which side we will support. I think in you know diplomatic and economic terms, it's actually a fairly reasonable thing to to want to do, uh, and in, indeed, it is quite feasible. And and what about uh, obviously the Lib Dems would just like us to remain? Do you think that would be accepted by the EU anymore? Do, would they still want us as part of them <laughs> after yeah. these last three years? Well, that is a very, very good question, actually. I mean, Britain for a long time was known as a bit of an awkward partner uh, in the EU, um, a, a state which uh, in some ways didn't always play the game as far as other EU member states were concerned. Um, and there are some people uh, in the EU and Emmanuel Macron uh, is sometimes taken to represent them. Uh, who think that actually the EU would be better off uh, without the UK, not necessarily economically at the beginning, but simply uh, politically, because the uh, UK always tends to block integration. And of course, our behaviour, as far as they're concerned, over the last three years has only proved the point. Um, it is, I think, quite difficult to assume that everything could go back to normal if we were uh, to remain. Uh, certainly, uh, I think, you know, we have burned quite a few bridges and there would be a lot of suspicion, I think, about anything that Britain uh, argued for going forward. However, I still think that most people uh, negotiating from the EU side would prefer Britain to be in the EU rather than outside the EU simply because they don't want the competition that Britain represents and they don't want the disruption to the economy that Britain's departure represents. Um now, I hope you don't mind me asking uh, a question about one of your colleagues, uh, a piece of writing that your colleague did. Um, Anand Menon, uh, director of UK and Changing Europe, wrote last week in the Financial Times that the EU had been inflexible in the Brexit negotiations, which I found very interesting because um, according to the Remain side of Twitter, the EU were wonderful. And according to the Leave side of Twitter, they're evil. <laughs> and um, I, it's very hard to know what the reality is. Um, but it you know, if, you, if you're happy to discuss, obviously, a colleague's writing, what would the political rationale be behind being inflexible in the Brexit negotiations for, for the EU? Have, have they been trickier than they needed to be or is it all our fault? Oh, well, I think the rationale for the EU would be fairly clear. I mean, they are a 27 state block. Uh, they have more power uh, than we do. And therefore, in the end, it's in their interest, perhaps, in terms of getting the kind of deal that they want from us to play uh, hardball. Um, I mean, it is, I think, possible to argue, as Anand uh, has argued, that the EU side has occasionally made mistakes. They perhaps could have made it slightly easier for Theresa May. But on the other hand, uh, other academics and other observers would argue that um, Theresa May, uh, like Boris Johnson, in some ways, you know, tried to have a cake and eat it. Uh, and the EU weren't prepared to allow that to happen. The contra argument to that, however, is, of course, when the EU uh, are negotiating with third parties, they often do uh, bespoke deals um, that perhaps they wouldn't do with other countries. And, you know, they might have uh, perhaps compromised some of their principles. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, I think when you're looking at any negotiation, you can always look back and, and think that, you know, at a certain point, it would have been a good idea if people compromised earlier than, in fact, they have, because some compromise is always necessary. So, uh, you know, I think that one's going to be debated for decades to come. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and, and do you think any of the ways in which the negotiations could happen from now on, if, if there are any, we'll see what happens, um, may change? under sort of we've got Ursula von der Leyen is going to be president of the European Commission there's several other new EU appointments do you think that might make a difference well I mean personalities are always important you know chemistry does matter uh, in negotiations but so does the maths I have to say um I mean I think Phil Hogan's who's the new um Irish uh, trade commissioner um he you know, may well be reasonably well disposed to the, the UK. And, and of course, it's in Ireland's interest 
um, to get as close a deal uh, as possible with the UK. Uh, having said that, of course, uh, Hogan is there to represent the interests of the EU, not simply of Ireland. Uh, and he will constantly, uh, as Michel Barnier has been doing, be looking over his shoulder to the EU heads of government um, to give him, first of all, a mandate and then to check on what he's doing. So, I mean, there could be uh, a little bit more flexibility, you know, once the EU is satisfied that we're leaving on reasonable terms. You know, we've sorted the financial settlement. There's agreement around citizens uh, and the Irish uh, border issue seems, seems, I say, to have been sorted to most people's satisfaction. Um, but I, I don't think suddenly the EU is going to be uh, eternally grateful uh, that we've got a deal and will give us everything that we want. I mean, <laughs> clearly it is going to be a very, very difficult negotiation. And when you are, you know, one country against 27, uh, you, you know, and when that uh, 27 state member bloc, as I've said before, has got so much more experience in, in trade negotiations, uh, it, it's going to be difficult, especially, of course, because you're as the UK also going to be looking at trade agreements you can make with other countries and they will have a knock-on effect on what you can and can't do as far as the EU is concerned. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we'll be back with Tim in a minute, but first... Check my election flex. 2019 is complex. Listen to me, because I'm expert to sex. Yeah, that's why they got election flex. Election flex. Election flex. Yeah, that's why they got election flex. Yeah, that's why they got election flex. Party manifesto might sound like an extra from The Sopranos, but instead it's a collection of all the election promises each party has made, neatly packed up in a brochure containing lots of pictures of said leader wearing different hats alongside people who are pretending to like them. It's like a holiday brochure for the next five years of your life, if your life was entirely watching the news and shouting at some idiot in a variety of hats, with people pretending to like them while they don't follow through with any of their promises and your life becomes worse. Sorry, I mean, it's a holiday brochure for the next five years of my life. For this week's show, I was going to do a lengthy look at each party's manifesto and what you might find in there, but then I realised this show was already 12 years long this week. You can read all the manifestos online yourself, and the Conservatives haven't actually said anything new in theirs apart from a weird sentence about creating a space command, which I assume is either Special Advisor and the very angry caterpillar Dominic Cummings' desperate, frustrated child one for a moon base spewing out into print form, or Dominic Raab's confused pleadings for someone to show him how to use a computer keyboard. Who knows? But there are a few bits and pieces in each manifesto that you might not have read because you have lives. So, here they are. 
Okay, so Get Brexit Done is 90% of the Conservatives' manifesto, with some confusing pictures of two candidates that are nurses and one who's an ocean scientist, and all of whom, I guess, have never ever heard of the party they're standing for before. But in between all that and the promises for nurses that are already there, there's a sneaky bit about protecting our democracy. What does that mean from a party who've unlawfully prorogued Parliament? Well, as you can probably guess, it's a tad slim shady. They say they'll get rid of the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, which yes, means you might have to wait five years to get rid of them, but it also means the Prime Minister can choose the date of an election, so it's most advantageous to them. Johnson could, in theory, only put elections on when all students are out of uni, or something else that may hinder voters for other parties getting to vote, like doing it on a religious holiday, or the day Disney Plus comes to the UK and all the young types are too busy streaming The Mandalorian, which they totally haven't already pirated. Ahem, <laughs> definitely wouldn't have done that, really. Something like that. Following the FTPA pledge, they also promised to make boundary changes, which does make sense in some way due to some constituencies having much higher populations than others. But in reality, all previously proposed boundary changes would hinder Labour and benefit the Conservatives, as they'd expand constituencies in cities so they'd require less MPs. The aim would be to cut it from 650 MPs to 600, which studies say would give the Conservatives a much better chance of winning about 40 more seats than they usually do under the current system. In the US, it's known as gerrymandering, where border changes favour the ruling party. And the Conservatives are also pledging to bring in voter ID, despite all studies showing it just stops people from voting, rather than reducing the already almost non-existent cases of voter fraud. And there's then a vague paragraph about improving the use of data, data science and evidence in the process of government, which post-Cambridge Analytica would be could be terrifying, or it could just be that they've all worked out an even more efficient way of ignoring all those things. Basically, all these policies are sounding a lot like US ones, but don't worry, because if you look at how things are over the pond, then you'll see that everything is far... Oh, oh dear. And one last bit, they're promising life imprisonment without parole for child murderers, which is funny, as that's already exactly what happens, obviously dependent on the case and court sentence. 50,000 already existing nurses, anyone? Hmm... Labour are pledging to bring forward the net zero target to the 2030s. What does that mean? Well, by 2030, something will have no nets left, football will be more dangerous, hair will be crazy, fish be escaping. No, sorry. Uh, It means within 10 to 15 years, the UK will have net zero carbon emissions. And yes, that is what needs to happen and what might mean we have the faintest chances of surviving the atmosphere turning into a global version of the morning after too much chilli sauce. But is it doable? Well, yes, but only if absolutely everything drastically changes. In 2017, transport was the biggest emitter of carbon dioxide in the UK, followed by the energy sector, business, residential and then agriculture. There was also 2% of other, which I'm sorry about and I won't be eating that again. So flights will have to be cancelled, petrol cars will need to go pretty quickly, homes will need to be insulated, solar, wind and tidal power need to come in quick enough and vast enough to replace current power and look, yes, basically this all sounds very necessary to me, but that's not just implementation changes, but lifestyle changes. Making alternatives affordable, somehow making everyone eat less Mackey D's and wrangling all those stupid 4x4s off twats that clog up streets with them might be harder than you think in a country full of people very stubborn about that sort of thing and who actually like Piers Morgan. And of course, all those unions who still have a large say in Labour being very concerned about job losses. 2030 is a bold promise, but realistically and depressingly, it might take a bit longer than that. Unless, of course, Labour can rally all the school children to go all Lord of the Flies for their future and work in teams of 30 to 40, taking on a 4x4 each and carrying them off to be melted and used as armour. I'm sorry for being a realistic Billy, but hey, I am a big fan of being a trying Billy. The Lib Dems have pledged to legalise cannabis, which, while it might be a great idea if Joe Swinson did become PM for her to smoke loads of it in office so she won't hit the nuclear button, it's also a very long overdue idea. It would raise a tonne of tax from people purchasing it, it would reduce crime, and it would free up police time on petty drugs cases, and free up prison spaces too, and being regulated may mean people don't get their hands on more stronger potent stuff like skunk, which is more dangerous. The arguments against it are that actually none of that stuff happens, that cannabis is a gateway drug and that more people will use it, but hey, I think if it results in the entire country chilling the fuck out for a bit, I will take a handful of comms. Imagine if the only way to fix a divided country post-Brexit would be passing the duchy on the left-hand side. Seriously though, as someone who can't physically handle drugs anymore, um, do check out the brilliant Stop and Search podcast and Susie Gage's Say Why to Drugs for loads and loads of good stuff on why drug stores in the UK are hugely outdated and in need of reform for so, so many reasons. The Brexit Party, uh, yes, I'm mentioning them because one of their policies is to ban the exporting of waste from the UK as lots of ours is exported across the world and buried or burned or dumped. 
Weirdly, the Brexit party being all patriotic about our waste is actually a very environmentally friendly plan. It'd mean loads of UK businesses would have to build treatment plants and improve their recycling, but we'd keep a lot more card paper and plastic over here, meaning we could reuse it ourselves and it'd stop unnecessary travel emissions. I mean, I guess we should have seen this coming, really. Farage has been reusing the same wasteful lines again and again for years now. And the Green Party are pledging a universal basic income of £89 per week, which is an idea that's been mentioned a lot in recent times, and some studies show it would lift people out of the worst poverty, though others have replaced benefit systems with UBI, which hasn't quite worked. There's a lot of other complicating factors, and it's something the Labour Party have also looked at, but it's good to see it being touted by one of the main five parties, if only to get it back on the sort of table of ideas. And if I had an extra £89 a week, I definitely would stop asking you for coffee donations. So there's that. So, as I said, it's just a very teeny tiny brief overview. Uh, all the manifestos are online to look at. The BBC site has helpfully written a top 12 key policies article from each one. And it's worth having a look just to see what might be possible or, in the Conservatives' case, all the rights we might lose so you can prep for it. Let me know if there's things in the next two weeks you would like more on or less of, except the jingle that is staying. And now, back to Tim. It is I, I, it, the, the sort of speaking to you this morning again just sort of hammers home the idea that get Brexit done is quite an incredible <laughs> tagline. Is it? it needs to have a, a sort of subheader of over a couple of decades, maybe that's the <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. But it is a very, it is a very, very effective slogan because you know, as you were hinting, it it, it resonates both with uh, um, uh, Leave voters and with Remain voters. Um, so, you know, it's it's inaccurate, but it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, you know, do you, do you feel that it's clear from these upcoming elections and all the campaigns whether the reasons that people voted for Brexit have, have yet been understood and listened to correctly? Um, or do, do you think it's sort of, you know, because part of me feels like the whole argument's just been reduced to leave or remain, but a lot of the deeper factors as to why people voted for those things have, have been ignored. Yeah, I mean, I think we think we have a fairly good idea about uh, why some people voted to leave. Anyway, um, immigration does seem to have played a very big role. Um, there was certainly a lot of unhappiness about the numbers coming in, the rapidity of the pace of change among some people. Uh, now, whether actually that had anything to do with their own lived experience or just a perception and a kind of anxiety about cultural change is, a, is another matter. Um, it was also, I think, uh, you know, we would say uh, related to a, a wider kind of disconnect uh, that many people felt from uh, their politicians or some people like to call it the political class. Uh, there, I think, were also um, a lot of conservative voters who had been uh, told for years and years and years that the EU was a terrible thing. Uh, and it became very difficult, I think, for David Cameron after being part of that project, if you like, for so long to suddenly execute a handbrake turn and tell people that it was worth staying in. Uh, and indeed, David Cameron's failure to corral um, conservative voters into the Remain camp um, is something that I think bears uh, a lot more uh, research and indeed responsibility than than perhaps um, some people think. If you look back to the 75 referendum, it was very clear um, that uh, both leaders actually in the end, uh, Wilson and uh, Heath, were able to, um, uh, sorry, uh, Thatcher, were able to um, corral uh, their um, supporters into into their, their camps. Um, I think the one group that we don't know enough about um, is actually uh, fairly well-off people in the southeast of England who voted leave. Um, we have tended to get it into our heads um, that you know leave um, won simply because there are a lot of so-called left-behind voters in the northeast of England uh, who uh, wanted to get out of the European Union as a kind of protest vote. Um, now, clearly, that's true for, uh, you know, those groups, perhaps. But there's a whole mass of people who, you know, one would have thought actually, um, you know, don't necessarily benefit, um, particularly from leaving the European Union, who still voted uh, to, to do so, uh, who are well off, who are comfortable. Uh, and we'd like to know more about those people, I think. So any, any more research uh, directed at that question, I think, would be very profitably directed at at, at them and, and their motivations. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. A lot of the sort of when you see TV interviews with people who voted Leave or Vox Pops or whatever, they always do head to Barnsley, for example, and they never head to anywhere in the no, South. No, that's at right. All. That's yeah. right. You know, that's right. It goes back to this point about David Cameron not being able to do what uh, you know Thatcher was able to do in in seventy five, and and actually you know pull together. Uh, the conservative um, core, if you like, and, and persuade it that uh, they should vote as their leader, you know, is um, was telling them to do. Now that might have to do with um, deference, of course, and it obviously has to do with, as I say, sort of decades of um, conservative politicians bad mouthing the EU. But there's there's also something else interesting going on, and, and certainly I, for one, would like to find out a little bit more about what that was. How do you feel about electoral system post Brexit? Does it still represent? Britain is is this election that we're going to have uh, as as we sort of you mentioned earlier that it may not be the way to break the impasse unless Boris gets a, a majority I suppose but you know d- does this kind of um, first past the post still work when we have a country that's divided in so many ways? Well, I mean personally, I'm not sure first past the post has ever <laughs> worked <laughs> that well. Um, you know, I, I, cards on the table. I, I think I would have always preferred a, a different electoral system. Um, you know, we are, even if Boris Johnson, the Conservatives win a majority, going to be in a situation where those who support Remain will be able to say, unless, you know, something incredible happens to the Conservative vote and it goes over 50 percent, that the majority of people didn't vote for um, parties that were recommending we leave the European Union. Um I think, though, you're right to point to the fact that, you know, we do live in much more fragmented times now. Party uh, loyalty, party identification has dropped precipitately since um, the 1960s when it was quite strong. Uh, people are much more volatile now. There's all sorts of research coming out of the British election study uh, showing how much people switch uh, between elections uh, and how much uh, they make up their mind actually quite late in the election. Uh, as well. Um, And there are alternatives on offer. And there are different questions now from the ones that were being asked when Britain was essentially an industrial country, you know, uh, particularly about climate change, but also about cultural values. Uh, And it strikes me that in order to get a more representative parliament, we probably need a more representative uh, system. Now, of course, that will have downsides, as some people will see it. That will mean that more "quote unquote" extreme parties might make it into um, parliament. But you know, some people would argue, well, it's actually better to see them in the system rather than outside railing in kind of populist fashion against the system. There'd be something quite ironic if uh, post Brexit we we have a more European style of voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. I mean, famous last words. I, I'd like to be wrong on this, but given that we had a referendum on the electoral system in 2011, it was prof- you know it was it was rejected um, by a huge majority. I think it's going to be very difficult for anyone to uh, get an, another referendum any time soon. And of course, the problem with electoral reform, um, and it's the catch-22, is that it, it only happens really if parties um, feel it's in their interests. And clearly, uh, the Labour and Conservative parties, if they maintain um, their dominance of the current system, aren't going to be voting for it. Uh, there may be some change at the margins in Labour, um, but I, I think it's difficult to see um, even the Labour Party coming out for electoral reform anytime soon. Yeah, also that you mentioning another referendum made me slightly shudder. So <laughs> the possibility of that would be terrifying. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Tim. Uh, just one last question that I ask everybody uh, that we have on this podcast is just that apart from yourself um, and all the work you do and UK in a changing Europe, um, who else would you recommend listeners follow or read up on both pre and post election in terms of the EU Brexit politics? Like, Who are your go to people? Oh, um, well, I think if it's anything to do with uh, the legalities of Brexit, I'd always follow David Allen Green uh, on Twitter. Uh, On trade, someone like Sam Lowe is always good to uh, follow. Uh, David Hennig as well, who knows a lot about trade. So uh, on Twitter, you know, going forward, they'll they'll be um, good ones to look at. There's a lot of good podcasts out there, not only our Brexit uh, podcast on the UK and a changing Europe, but no doubt the BBC will be carrying on perhaps with uh, Brexit cast as well. There's, of course, your own uh, great podcast. So there's a, there's an awful, awful lot out there, um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, people can, if they want to, um, find stuff that, uh, that uh, I think is informative and actually helps them understand um, the, the issues 
rather than, you know, taking it from the mouths of politicians who I am afraid to say um, on both sides, actually, um, have not been exactly exemplary in terms of telling people uh, how it really is. Thanks so much to Tim for having time to chat and kindly stepping in last minute after an interview he had to cancel as well. That was brilliant of him. Um, you can find Tim on Twitter at Professor Tim Bale or his blog site, ProfessorTimBale.com. Tim has also recently released a book uh, that he is co-author of, um, and it's called Foot Soldiers, Political Party Membership in the 21st Century. And that is available from all good bookshops that sell those sorts of things. Um, UK and a Changing Europe site is at ukandeu.ac.uk or on Twitter at ukandeu or on Facebook too. And big thank you as well to Lizzie at the Policy Institute and to Ben at UK and a Changing Europe for helping to arrange me speaking to Tim. Much appreciated. I've got the next couple of weeks of guests lined up um, as we head into the election, but I'll still need guests for next year. God knows what about, but I have a feeling many current issues will by that point be so old, there'll be raisin issues. Do you see what I did there? So look, have a think. Uh, tell me what you need to know more about or think others should. What causes campaigns, issues, or just nice chats about them politics that you need to hear. And you can do that by dropping me a line at the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, the at Bro Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, or by emailing me at partlypolitical broadcast at gmail.com or you could just promise yourself to get recommendation done and then it's likely i won't hear from you until 2030 when this podcast no longer exists uh, it's probably just easier to email isn't it and that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast thanks to you for choosing this hour of noise over any other i mean you could have picked one of those shows where they play incidental music while not solving a mystery that no one's ever cared about or one of those ones where five men shout over each other and laugh a lot but ultimately feel empty inside so i appreciate you went parpol bro instead and if you're pleased about that choice please do review the show tell others to have a listen to it via your social medias or even just by talking with that mouth hole on your face blob maybe even or even just by talking with that mouth hole on your face blob, and maybe even donate to the Kofi or Patreon sites if you fancy it too. Thanks as ever to Acast, to The Last Skeptic for all the music noises, and don't forget his new and excellent album, See You in the Next Life, is out now. And also to Cat Day for typing up the linear liner notes. This will be back next week when the Conservatives lose points in the polls after several prominent left-wingers cleverly announced that actually they really like Johnson now, and finally his fan base think there's something wrong with him. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Morgan's all-new washing powder. Wash your clothes with this powder that scientists have created by taking all the old powder you spilt down the back of your machine. Your clothes will smell of damp pipes, but if you just imagine enough and forget all that logic, it smells as new as new can be when it's actually old. Morgan's all-new washing powder. Who needs new when you can have old and say it's new even though it's old? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.